Welcome back to Fitbit Pod. Uh, my name is Ben Lomas. Just forgot, forgot it for a second. And with me always is the <laughs> Hello, Benjamin. We are, we are back into sort of like pandemic vibes where we're on Zoom, but we've got guests in and um, I love it. I'm into it because uh, we haven't had a guest in a long time and I'm excited about this guest because she's a really good friend of mine. She's a fantastic comedian, was toured around the world, um, uh, dominating over in the UK and we're lucky to have her back in uh, but she's she comes with baggage. How I do. Please welcome Alice Fraser. Yay. Hello, Dill. Hello, Ben. How are you? Um, I, I have to apologize because I, I do have a small companion with me at the moment. I uh, You asked me to do this yesterday and I tried to organize childcare. And uh, as with so many things that you organize at the last minute, it fell yeah. through. So uh, you may get a little bit of chat from mm. my baby known on the internet as laser fraser laser um, fraser that's her that's her internet name um mm-hmm. to protect her privacy and okay. she'll be good for about 40 minutes but maybe at 40 minutes she might lose her little mind because it's Ooh, okay time. okay to be well, honest I, i'm gonna put it straight out she's nailing it right now oh oh yeah absolutely <laughs> she's nailing it she <laughs> is the perfect baby in every way and i won't hear a word against it um, he's like a double the pomodoro technique you know the pomodoro technique which is only 20 minutes at a time yeah so she's got two pomodoros in her and then she's out she has a wet window dill. at the moment of between two and three hours that's that's totally. amazing and that dill convert a baby to a tomato yeah <laughs> i mean well you know they 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 around they, they, they get very red, red nappy red bright red <laughs> they sometimes are sour <laughs> sometimes they're sweet oh well this is the yeah this is the perfect baby uh and i know that your your podcast is about weight and i think no, that's an interesting this thing. podcast is about health and well-being is how we oh, are. and, and parenting go. parenting does get a fair whack of a mention as well oh, well that's why enough. i was keen to get you on alice because i'm sure ben uh in particular will have plenty of things to ask you we were talking because you and i alice we were gigging in wa yes. last week and there were a bunch of things that you were sharing with me around the the bub and all of that stuff that i was like oh this is really like interesting conversation for people who might like myself might not be aware of that whole procedure uh and, and things like that which i think ben is a lot more aware of because uh ben you had uh, both babies were home births yeah, uh no only one well we attempted twice and only one yes so. yes and uh alice let's pick it up there so when was laser fraser uh brought to this world when was she expected and when did she actually show up? and also congratulations <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so this is one of I, I, okay, so generally, um, this is one of the things they don't tell you. Four out of five first babies are more than a week overdue. Yes, I yes, did yes. not know that. Uh, and what I think that means is that when you're having your first baby, they they lie to you about how yeah. long pregnancy is. Four out of five means that it's not an outlier. Yeah, it's not a statistical anomaly just first pregnancies are different from other pregnancies and they take longer. They should tell you that out of the gate because I, I think it's a, it's a super interesting process. You change, your body changes. What, the conception? Fuck yeah. Uh, your body changes faster than it has ever changed before. Oh, uh, throughout the whole of the pregnancy, your body is changing 
growing faster than you it's ever well, like I don't you can't know, put Alice. on weight that fast if I don't you know, try Alice. ben and i we had a pretty rapid change at the start of this <laughs> podcast and then the pandemic hit and we had a pretty extreme rapid uh, increase. did you lose 15 kilos in one day yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's true. That's true. To be fair, I have uh, I've gotten deli belly in the past and done that. <laughs> it was about thirteen kilos. Though. They, I'm being very I'll, silly, and I'll, I'll continue to be silly in this podcast. And I hope you know it's all in uh, dickheadery. And also, you, and and you'll, you can it. you can be silly because you're still on that side of the wall. It's once you've jumped to the other side of the wall and you've been at that end and you've experienced that with a partner that uh, it's 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 hard to go back to silly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you don't laugh, you cry, right? Oh, there's a lot of crying. You definitely cry. You definitely cry. You stand at the border of life and death and you think, holy shit, people just arrive in the world through my body. And look, uh, at, look, at, look at Laser just staring at you as you're yeah. saying all these things. Like, it's like, is that how you feel about me, mum? This is going to come says, up in ha. therapy in the future. Yeah. And so oh, how, so how old, how old is, is Frozen um, now? Six and a half months. So. Yeah, wow. Okay. God, God, that goes quick. Jesus Christ. Yeah, incredibly um, fast. Yeah, it's um, yeah, and then it's so fun because now you're at the stage and not not teething solids on solids yet. One tooth has just started emerging. Whoa! It's six months. Jesus, yeah. what a oh no! You might have one of those babies who starts walking at nine months. Oh, terrifying! <laughs> terrifying! And they have no survival instinct at all. You think no. about how much stuff you have to learn. Like you know, they have to learn how to latch on, and you think that would be anyway. No, but, so, but, but, so the one week thing. Sorry, I don't know if we, we went we covered that off. So it, the, how long was your baby? Uh, how long later did uh, she show up? So they don't worry until you're two weeks overdue, mm-hmm. um, but they start putting pressure on you to get what they call an induction. Yes. Um, boo, and boo. It's one of those instances where I think you know, in terms of fitness and health and well-being. Mm. There is a public health incentive and there is a personal health incentive, right? Oh, the public I'm health so incentive. So glad you're on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> there's a public health incentive which is for them to get the baby out sooner to get an induction because yeah. although it involves more medical intervention it means that they don't have to bring you in and monitor you nowadays you know the danger of going past your due date is if you go you would go into the hospital and they put monitors on you and you would be taking up a bed for days or however long it took or yeah. until the baby was in distress at which point they would induce yeah so there, there is a step between Oh, the baby's a bit late and quick, get it out. Yeah, right. You you can take advantage of as an individual, but the system wants you to get the baby out quicker because they don't want to use those resources on you. And And is that is that is that a situation with the because of the pandemic and the lack of resources, or this has always been the case? It's always been the case. The you know we have a very good public health system in Australia, but it is always under pressure, as all public systems are, and so you know. There were a few steps along the way. Every single individual I dealt with in the process was incredibly nice, incredibly good at their job. Now, did you and go yet a at the program? same time, I felt you... the system was like, come on, come on, come on, come yeah. on. There was a pressure behind every decision that was made and there were judgment calls that were made along through the process that I felt would not have been made if they weren't under time pressures. And were you making these decisions by yourself? Uh, I don't talk about my personal uh, relationships on in in public. No, 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 that's fine. No, no, no. I was just trying to get a a sense of the situation where like, it's obviously a new experience for you. And you're in that, in that 
this is happening for the first time and here you're out of your fucking mind you're out of your mind yeah. so and you're making meant, these like, decisions and they are your decisions yeah and um, all of a sudden you're meant to make these calls while your head's spinning out of control so i guess the point of the question was was there a neutral or someone you trust that in terms of being able to bounce off those things did you have enough support that wasn't the staff yes i did i had i had the support yeah. but in the end it is your call because it's your body right. um right. and it is you you're kind of making these decisions in the end it has to be <laughs> it has to be you who makes the call you cannot have somebody uh-huh. else making that call for you because they're profound decisions and they affect your health on, in an ongoing way as well um you know so yeah it's it's a thing it's a difficult thing because you have to make the decision and also you are not in a position to make that decision and you cannot make the decision beforehand because things change on the ground and now having been through this yourself uh what are the things that you wish you had i mean obviously like you said that the baby is usually four out of five times a week later like i'm specifically saying if someone's about to go through this process for the first time or or things like that what are the things that you'd love to pass on to them Oh, so many things, so many things, pre-birth, post-birth, the whole thing. Okay. Um, but Ben, you had a question. I can start listing them and you can interrupt at then, some point. So, so the first one is, uh, again, uh, did you go through a different pro, did you go through a particular program with the public system? So here in Melbourne, we have the Cosmos program. Um, you know, there's, there's different programs with different hospitals, whether you want to have a water birth or not. Did you go through a particular program? I went through uh, the Royal in Randwick, um, the women's yep. hospital there. They have a midwife program there. Um, but of course it was all thrown off a little bit by COVID. So we, I didn't, normally the thing is you meet the midwife group and you meet yeah. all of them. And so in the public system, you don't get to kind of choose your doctor anyway, but no, no, or you're lucky which... enough to have that. Like in most cases, you, whether the midwife is with you the whole way through, which would be amazing or the obstetrician would be the whole way through, but in the public system, that isn't always the case because then, you know, they've got leave, they've got other call outs. Yeah. Look, not... To be honest, that didn't bother me. I, okay. I would have found it quite stressful, I think, to, I know this sounds awful, but like to maintain a relationship with someone, like to be, <laughs> just to have to make friends, because you have to make friends with them, right? And then what if they're annoying and you don't want to work with them? Like, I, I found it difficult enough That's really funny. Um, with the people in the room <laughs> to resist my urge to perform okayness during labour. That, yeah. you know, the one time in your life where you're allowed to like scream and, I I felt uh, genuinely, and this is just, it, it taught me something about myself, which was that I felt real pressure inside myself from nobody else to let, make everyone feel like I was okay, even when I wasn't. Um, yeah. So you're a people pleaser. It's almost like you're a stand-up comedian. It's almost like I'm a stand-up <laughs> comedian, but you would think in the extremest of circumstances when you are you know, there's there's very few human experiences which are so extreme on the human body. Oh, I would name one other. I just don't. I, I, like, I can't. And also, it's not only you know whether you how Any you have tonsils removed. I heard those did, are pretty tough. Did you? Did you? My question is: Did you have a family, or did you have a support person to help you in those decisions? Yes. Yeah. I have. I have a very supportive family, and I very have had people I could ask and talk to. And my right. twin brother is a, a massive pregnancy nerd. Um, the big tragedy of my brother's life is, I think, that he w- wasn't able to give birth because he just is such a maternal person. I would um, say, Ben, is that fair to say that sort of a um, similar description to you? Because you know the pregnancy, uh, you know, the, the process so well uh, from an outsider's perspective, as well as an outsider could, short of a, you know, OBGYN. You seem to have 
your knowledge down around it quite well. Yeah, I, I also have a partner who also was really, uh, really, um, she's she's really into the right of the uh, the person giving birth, the right to be able to make the decision. So I was very involved in part of the process because my partner didn't want intervention throughout the process, and that's and that's really really hard. But also I had I had to be educated on how or what to do or how to say things or how to advocate for her in the midst of, of right. the actual birth. I had to be educated to understand the position women are put in and the rights that they have and they, they should deserve. And my role was to help facilitate that. And right. so they're almost like in the moment, too. you in the are moment. not yeah. in a position to be having an argument with somebody. No. And, and, and even then, you know, like, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's induction or suction or, you know, in this case, you know, an epidural, you know, you know, like, you know, I, I you have to stand your ground and say, hey, well, uh, my partner wishes not to have one. Or is there a possibility that we could go around it? Uh, we, 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 what are what, the risks? What are the risks? Yes. And then this. So I asked, what are the risks? What I didn't ask is how high are the risks? Yeah. So that that for me was the big um, the big change. Or what happens if I if I choose not to do this? Yeah. So because in the moment, I can I can tell you my birth story if you like. You um, talk if about that the would pain. The thing you described me described to me about the pain and the amount you were enduring. Oh yes. Yeah. So there's an interesting thing about induction. So I ended up getting induced because they put quite a lot of pressure and they said if we if you don't do it today, we can't do it until next. Thursday, which was after the time at which it would become dangerous to go overdue um, because they were so full up. And again, this is a system putting pressure on you. That's not they fair. Were, that puts, that's just not fair. It's not, it's not fair because I would rather have not. And I, I kind of had this feeling of, oh, if I waited like two days, can I wait two days? And they're like, no, you cannot wait two days. You are either doing it today or you're doing it next week, seven days from now. Because and if so you walked up to emergency, they'd have to do it. Yeah. Again, this is not the kind of thing, this is not the way that you're thinking it yeah. at the time because you're in this sort of slightly vulnerable position and, and you want to play well. it safe because, you know, you don't want to risk your baby. And it's this this subtle thing that's obviously partly um, natural and biological and partly, you know, what they're doing uh, to you. Uh, again, not maliciously, It's it, but they have two interests. They have the, the system's interest and your interest. And you only have your interest and you can't really understand the system's interest because they're not going to disclose that yeah. they did, you know, until you're right up against it. So I, it's either tomorrow or in a week. So I went, okay, fine, we'll do it tomorrow. It's already overdue. Well, if, if, you know, I don't want to go into that red zone, that danger zone. And I, I, I didn't think it through. I didn't think, oh, well, I can just go in and they would monitor me for a few days if, if it did go into that danger zone. But that's not how you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, shit. And, and of course, they don't talk you through it either because it's in their interest to get you induced. Yeah. Um, so I went in. Uh, they did what they call a stretch and sweep, uh, yeah. which <laughs> is where they stick their fingers into your cervix and stretch it and sort of poke around. They sort of yeah. just stir it up. Um, I thought that's to do it naturally like, to start to start the process without to, any medication without anything and so I thought that's I, what like a hotel maid does before they start start a shift yes yes stretch and sweep stretch. and uh <laughs> it is an extremely unpleasant sensation and uh, this is going to sound like boasting but it isn't it is relevant to the story later I had three of those which didn't seem to do anything no. uh, and each time the person doing it said wow you can tolerate a lot of discomfort um, cervical discomfort you've got. You know, and I was like, okay, 
thanks, I guess. You yeah, feel yeah. quite tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, wow, look at me. Look at me in my cervix. <laughs> look at me in my tough <laughs> cervix. I'm... You automatically assume they're basing this on previous patients that they've had and how much you must be like, oh, I'm in the upper high percentile. Yeah, yeah, I'm a tough, yeah. I'm a tough, tough cervix because <laughs> it is a very unpleasant sensation. Yeah. It's a delicate uh, area. It's also a vagus nerve. Um, yeah. So it hits your uh, gag reflex. Yeah. It's nauseating pain. Yeah, because um, it's not like, you know, if you get an old matron who's done it, you know, like a thousand times where she's like, you know, it goes from, oh, my God, you got a pretty tough cervix to, hey, I just patted, them, patted your baby and met them. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. so. Well, so this is the thing. So they they did that three times, didn't work, and then they decided to put the synthetic oxytocin in me, yeah. um, which is a, a thing. They put a drip in you, so yeah. automatically you lose a lot of the options around kind of uh, quote unquote natural birth. So you can't go in the bath, or you can, but it's a hassle. You've got it's a the drip. The first and step of intervention. Let's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's and, and this is the thing they say, if you do one intervention, you're more likely to have another intervention, yeah, but they well, don't tell you how much more likely. Yes. Uh, they just say you're more likely and you go, okay, fine. Okay, I look, whatever, if this is what yeah. I, if this is the way we're going, I trust our medical system. I trust these people. If it's going to be dangerous for me not to get this, I'll do it because, you know, I, my whole policy was just be as chill as possible, be as relaxed as possible. It helps with the birth to be relaxed. It also helps with the baby. Were you like, doing I am calm quite birthing? a relaxed person. Yes, we did calm birthing. Okay. Um, and and Question, I just... What is calm birthing for those of us <laughs> uninitiated? So one, I mean, the basic Because it feels like an it, oxymoron because birthing it, in the traditional... It is of... actually not an oxymoron. So oxytocin is one of the hormones that is associated <laughs> with birth. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it's associated with contractions. So the way right. they give you synthetic oxytocin to bring on contractions. Right. But in real life, oxytocin is the love drug. It's what you get from feeling warm and safe and comfortable. So uh-huh. actually, it's not just a nice thing for a woman giving birth, a person giving birth to have oxytocin. It's vitally important for the process that they feel safe and secure. And it's sort of slightly unfortunate that a hospital is not a hugely safe and secure mm, feeling place, particularly right. if, like me, you've been in hospitals a lot in your life uh, with with a very sick mother and uh, associate just the smell of hospitals with the horrible things. Mm. Um, but, and so that's why, just so for people who don't know, that's why a water birth is so amazing because you can go in there with your partner. So you're in with your partner and, and you can create that natural serotonin because you're there going, hey, I'm here with you. You're in a safe space. Let's do this. Yeah. So, so yeah, being with uh, somebody who loves you and who you love and who you feel safe around is is pretty important for the process. And being warm and dark and safe, and that's one of the reasons why you kind of want to do as much labor as possible at home. Yeah. If you can do a home birth. Right. I'm I'm an older mother, so I thought I'll go to the hospital. I'll do it in one of their birthing suites, which is a very nice place. They've got a pool and all of that, you know, little you know bath and everything. What but the moment you them? get the drip in, I was like, well, I can't do the bath. And they're yeah. like, you can, but it's a bit of a hassle. So all of those options start going. You can't move around as freely because you've got a drip in uh-huh. and they come in and they start dialing up the oxytocin synthetic oxytocin the, hits your back system to the natural calm calm birthing thing um, yeah. what were the things that were told to you that can be helpful uh, like actual practical stuff versus that the uh, and as well as what did you find was most effective for you personally so that piece of information about the hormonal effect of being relaxed you know yeah. uh, that w- made it more um that made it more um, 
real, I guess. Yeah, more. yeah, you could understand the mechanics behind it. But in terms of actually practically, uh, you like you, you mentioned dark feeling supported and love and things like that, which is why the home. Is there anything else like music or meditation? Yes, anything, or... literally anything that makes you have a feel... birth plan, Dil. You have a birth, that's all like before you, you, you have a plan before you go uh-huh. into it, like a big match. Like you, you've got it, yeah. you can have the yeah. music, you can have the set. And yeah. also, and like with Alice's, like she did the calm birthing. So there's all these, well, I assume you did like sort of, you know, sort of interactive classes to lead into that. Did you do those yeah. classes? Yeah. Or via Zoom because it was it was the yeah, pandemic. Which, but so that's I guess that's what I mean. So in terms of the plan, what was on in your plan, and what were the things that you found most effective? Well, in so the, the calm birthing just tells you basically what happens every step of the way, physically and psychologically. Uh-huh. Um, so there's interesting hormonal effects. So you have you have oxytocin for the main part of the labor process, which is where you're not actually pushing. It's just all happening inside you. And right. your job is to be as relaxed as possible. Right. And the more relaxed you are, the better the contractions are and the better it goes. And then at the end, it switches over to adrenaline for the push phase. Uh, but in that brief period where the hormones switch over, you have like a moment of either what you would call clarity or madness, where a lot of women, interestingly, just go, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm going oh, home. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Or they're like, "Oh crap! Give me the, give me the drugs now." And it's too late because you're about to go into that that yeah. push phase. Um, so things like that were really interesting. Those little bits of information. I love information. I am also a baby nerd. Yeah. Um, and that understanding, that knowing that your body is going through pain, it's going to, but knowing that it's doing it to get your baby out, just gave us so much power and so mm-hmm. much control. And it just. Yeah. I, Again, purpose like, in a way, right? Is that a thing? Like, you yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're like, this is not happening. Like, you know, and that's why an epidural is quite difficult because you get pretty much paralyzed from the legs down. And so, so also, yeah, you can't, you know, you can't move yourself around in yeah. the way that your body is wanting mm. um, because you're you're losing the signals from your body. Yeah, I didn't want an epidural. Um, I wanted because I'm interested in, you know, I've done marathons. I'm interested in. Um, what my body can do yeah yeah yeah. of course once you get the induction then further interventions cascade and are not just more likely but much Much more likely likely. and that was the thing that they didn't tell me they said oh they're more likely and I was like yeah okay um and then so you know we're back to we're back to the synthetic oxytocin coming in and that already cuts off a lot of your options basically and it was a really interesting thing because at the beginning these contractions were coming and they felt okay. You know, they felt productive, useful, yeah. um, functional, and they kept coming in and turning up the oxytocin because they were bed blocked. Um, and, um, and at a certain point it started to get painful in what I felt was the wrong way. Right, I felt it. It just felt wrong, and indeed, I'd stopped um, dilating. Yeah. Uh, my cervix had stopped doing what it's supposed to do, which is widen enough for the baby's head to come through. It stopped, and I was in this kind of weird pain. It felt stabby and wrong. And I said, "Hey, can we slow down? Can we back off a little bit on this oxytocin?" And the nurse in the room very kindly turned it down a bit, and it started going back to the normal. And then another nurse walked in and dialed it back up. Um, and it was just too much. It was just like, I was just, I was just puking and the contractions, there was no space in between them. So I was, uh, I was throwing up and having contractions that were overlapping and it just didn't feel useful. And at that point I said, you know, after some hours of that, I said, could, I think I need pain medication. Uh, and they gave me gas, but I immediately just kept 
throwing up more. So the gas was no good for me. Um, so I said, okay, we'll do the epidural. On, on the throwing up, if you, uh, is it get to that point where there's like nothing left in your guts, but you're just having that dry retching kind of vibe? Or? Yes, you're just retching and retching and retching. Right. And so then they introduced a saline drip as well. Um, right, because you're getting dehydrated, I guess. Right? Yes, I How many hours are we in? Oh, God, I don't know. Eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Um, so, and Delsa, just what, and I know you're not going to do that, but it's like, you know, this is the one thing that, you know, not the, another that I'm a nerd and I'm fascinated is like, you know, to some degree you're nice enough to share your birth story with you, which is what a lot of women are encouraged to do because it's such an event, but also at the time it's hard to remember it all. So retelling it is. it is actually really, really important throughout the process. And so, and so thank you for sharing with us because it is, it is quite unique to, to hear other people's birthing stories. So I have mine with my partner, but it's not often you get to hear it from other people. I think we should talk about it more. I think uh, it's one of those I, things I that I think we should talk about more because I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting in the way that uh, sport is interesting, seeing what right. the human body can do. And then it's also interesting because... I didn't know any of this stuff. Well, this you is know, kind my mum died. To, I don't have was... sisters, and you know. And really keen to get you on because I was like, this is so much, like it, so many things that you hear the phrases of, like epidural and, and induction. But when we were chatting last week, I just realized how much I was actually in the dark and didn't understand that an epidural means that you might not be able to walk and therefore you try and avoid that. And all these things, that's why I was so keen to have you. So the thing that happens with the epidural, so the gas didn't work for me throwing up constantly. So they put in the epidural. So they put a little needle in your spine uh, with a catheter, soft yeah. needle, basically. And it, the anesthetic goes out and it makes you numb from below the point at which they inject it. Um, so there's some risk involved with that. You can have lingering numbness. But the real problem is that you're meant to sort of give birth squatting or crouching or with one leg up or in an odd position, you're, you're as a your body knows how to move to get the baby out. It's right. an interactive process. And, and, and it's the pain how you is a, feel. Yeah, how you feel. The pain is a signal to your body to go, this is the only way it feels less bad. Yeah. And that's the way that it needs to be for the, yeah. the head to move down and everything to proceed. The epidural makes you numb from the waist down, which means you cannot walk around. In America, they do what's called a walking epidural, but the liability issues here are too big. Yeah. Um, so in America, you can wave, you know, you can say, fine, I'll take it. I'll take, I promise not to sue you if you let me do this walking epidural. But in Australia, no, if you have the epidural, you're then lying down, yeah. um, which means then the next stage, uh, these interventions cascade. If you're lying down, it's the gravity isn't working, helping the baby's head Maybe come down. Um, you, the, there's more weight on the back of your pelvis. Um, so it, again, you're, you're not able to move and shift and get the head coming out in the right way. Um, there's more weight. So you're more likely then to get what's called um, the episiotomy and the forceps or suction, um, which is where they cut you open to make more space because again, gravity is not working and they reach yeah. in and they help the baby out with their hands or with, with yeah. forceps or with a suction-y thing. The suction -y is more risky for the baby. The forceps are more risky for the mum yeah. um, in terms of damage. Um, so anyway, they put the epidural in and when they were putting it in, here's the interesting thing. They said, oh, you lasted a long time. And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, oh, well, everyone gets an epidural. I was like, what do you mean? And they said, well, the vast majority of people who get an induction get an epidural. And mainly when they don't, it's because it happens very quickly and it's too late for them to ask for it. They hadn't told me before how likely it was that I would need an epidural. They just said, oh, you're more likely to need an epidural. And I thought I can tough this out. 
And like having been told that I've got a really like a lot of pain tolerance in my cervix, I was like, this is, you know, I can tough it through. And by the time I gave quote unquote, gave up and accepted this, this pain uh, relief, it was really painful. Like, yeah. and I mean, I know, like, I was like, I know pregnancy is painful. And I was trying to tough it out past this point. And they're like, no, no, no. Everyone gets pain relief. Um, or asks for almost, it. Yeah. Almost everyone. So, like, I understood correctly where like, it's either you, it happens so quickly, you don't need it, or it's inevitable, inevitable that you will it's get It's not it. inevitable, but if you get the artificial oxytocin, it's a different feeling. Yeah. Right. And it's not the same as your previous labor. And so my, my sense that the, the pain had quote unquote gone wrong, uh-huh. that's what I was saying. It feels wrong. It's gone wrong. Mm. Like this isn't useful. This isn't productive. It didn't feel sort of, I, I guess the, the right. only equivalent would be the difference between like, like squeezing a pimple or like gouging a hole. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, just something was not, didn't feel consistent with the way things were. And also it's it's new. What's happened to you is new. Like there's nothing, you can't compare it to anything else. Like it is, you know, it's, it's when it's happening, it's, it's, you're embracing and reacting to what it is. That's why I just find fascinating that in, in, in these instances, that's what like, you know, I was in awe of my partner because she went in there making the decision that there was going to be no intervention. And I was there to support that decision-making. And as much as I, you know, I would disagree. I was like, it's your body. Mm. I back you. Let's do this. And we were part of a home birth um, program that was funded by Medicare, which a lot of people don't can't believe it exists, but it exists. Yeah. And so it's that thing where it's like, well, you know your body, you know what you're feeling. Yeah, you know, I'm there to support you. And it was amazing because, like you said, in the room, making those decisions is really hard. But I noticed as well, I wasn't just there in the room. We also had our two midwives and our doula. So it's a team of five helping make those decisions. And that's what I found. I don't think I could have done it all on my own uh, going, no, my partner wants this and this. I've got two midwives going, no, actually, we reckon she's got it here. Or then, you know, our doula, which is also a trained midwife, was just going, actually, no, you know what? Hold off on that. I reckon she's got it here, blah, blah, blah. And that advocacy in the moment is just so important. That um, Yeah, no, it, I wish I had had that kind of a team, I think, uh, and again, at the time, you know, that the, all these like slight pressures for speeding things up. And it's not to say that I wouldn't have needed those interventions. Yeah, totally. Um, but I wish I had had more information. I wish I'd had uh, a little bit more time, probably two days at the at the beginning and then one hour at the end, which is where, so the epidural was happening. Um, then they started monitoring the heart baby's heart rate and saying it wasn't coming up as quickly as they would like between contractions and they said well we'll check if she's distressed um if she has any lactic acid then we'll move you to to the next step which is the forceps um and they so then we go into surgery we go out of the birthing suite and into surgery and i was like okay uh check the lactic acid right because if they're in distress then that's not good there's there's problems that can happen um and so they checked for the lactic acid and it wasn't present. She was a very relaxed baby and she mm. was fine. And then they went, all right, we're going into surgery. And it was this, this moment of wait, 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 what, what, what? You said the heart rate isn't coming up as quickly as you'd like. If she's distressed, we'll go into surgery. Like if A and B, then C, mm. but only A is present. We're going straight to see what, 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 what's happening. And it was this thing of like, 
you know, you can still feel these contractions. The epidural is not a complete block of sensation. It's still quite an intense experience. Um, and you're kind of sweating and, you know, the whole thing is happening. You've got a catheter in it, it, it like it's confusing and overwhelming. And, and I said, what's the risk? What's the risk? Like, cause I feel like, you know, I was nine centimeters dilated. She was engaged. I'm like, I feel like I'm an hour away, like genuinely. And I don't know why I feel like that, but I feel like we're on this pointy end of things and I'm not far away from it happening. So can, can I wait an hour? And they said, oh, I wouldn't recommend it. And I said, well, what's the risk? And they say, cerebral palsy is the risk. And I went, okay, we're going to surgery. <laughs> but again, like what, what I'll level risk of risk it, yeah. are we talking about? Like, are there other precursors that you can check for the likelihood really of that? that? Did they really say that to you like that? Yes. Yeah. I said, what's the risk? If I don't go into surgery, if I don't get this episiotomy and forceps, if we don't get her out in the next hour, what's the risk? And they said cerebral palsy. And I went, okay, okay, as you would, you know, like there's no, you can't argue with that. They're the doctors, they're the medical people. I was like, okay, let's, let's do it then. And so we went in and it was interesting um, because they, they put a little um, uh, barrier between you and your bits, but I could see the reflection in the doctor's glasses of what was happening down there. And I was quite interested. So he, he made the cut and he reached in with the forceps and literally like, hardly nudged her at all just like and out immediately out and it was just this thing of like such a wonderful like they they put you on her chest and you're like terrified and this little person is staring at you glaring at you and screaming and spitting blood onto your chest you're like this is a phenomenal thing yeah but i was also thinking i told you she was right there like i knew she was right there you you were all looking how could you not see that she was right you're right I was right. And it was this odd feeling of like, I, I knew when I, and it was too, it wasn't too late, but it was too late. When they were wheeling me out of the birthing suite, they were putting someone else in. Someone else was walking in the door, basically. Yeah. Um, and I literally watched, watched this lady walk in. And so that part was, you know, it was a judgment call that they made on the yeah. medical things. And there was this risk and all of that stuff. But also, there was a clock ticking in the back of their head and I don't know how much, and I will never know how much that clock ticking put pressure on them to make the decision in the way that they did and to put the pressure on me in the way that they did. And, you know, you've never done it before. I'm an older mother, which you already feel guilty about. Like, you're like, I'll just listen to the doctors and in the public hospital, they do have your best interest and you are the patient and the baby's the patient, you come first. So they will do everything they can for you to have a natural birth. But again, like you said, there are pressures, there are times. Um, but then, and the statistic that always, this is the one that always gets to me, it's like, if you went private, like one in two women who go private in Australia have a cesarean. Yeah. And the reason why they have a cesarean is because it's on the clock. And when you're in a private hospital, you know, time is money. Now in the public system, you know, time is pressure, but in the private system, it is, it is, you'll just speak to every, like, and, and they're not great experiences because you're not in control because your obstetrician is in control or the doctor in charge or the ED is in charge. And that therefore, if you don't have that accuracy, you go through it. Like I have so many friends who went through the private system and, you know, the, the big thing is like, yeah, Oh, but it, it, after the birth, we get to stay in a five-star hotel. Who, who, gets, who gives a shit? 
Who gives you yeah. shit? And you know why you stay in a five-star hotel? Because it's cheaper than you being in the hospital. That's yeah. why they put you in there. But Can it, I ask? In retro, that was the only thing that I would have done, uh, actually. I could have gone private and I, I went public because partly because I didn't want to have an intervention and I, yeah. I kind of wanted to be chill about it. But you had the same I was in experience. hospital for four days afterwards and I was yeah. sharing a room with someone who'd had a very bad birth experience. They'd had a home birth, actually, that had gone wrong um, yeah. and had had fourth-degree tearing and ended up having to have the baby out um, with the suction anyway. So the baby was, had a headache um, from the suction and was screaming and the lady was like groaning terribly a lot of the time. So at it, when I was there, you know, with my new baby and you feel like you've been hit by a truck, you feel like your whole body is kind of covered in cotton wool and you're very shaky. Um, that four days I would have preferred not to be sharing a room. So that was the only argument for the private hospital. You're learning with your baby, you're connecting with your baby, your baby's got a latch, which is a whole process in itself as well. Like, you know, and there's a lot of pressure. Anybody you're about to have a baby, can I highly recommend silverettes? They're little, they're literally made of silver and they're little nipple covers. And you put them on and they are between your nipple and your bra. So you, when you're nipple gets all chafed up yeah. it doesn't stick and a little bit of breast milk comes out and stays in the little silver cup and heals you up and I had a really good breastfeeding experience and I, I attributed significantly to that little protective antibacterial silver cup yep yeah, I think they come in different brands but it's just right. a little silver hat for your nipple and I, I wore them like 24 hours a day for six weeks and I have um, had no trouble breastfeeding such a good tip could have, could have you, used that want... when I did the marathon I reckon and then... <laughs> And if you and if you want to go down the hippie road like we did, is uh, cabbage. I spent a lot of time cutting up cold cabbage, yeah. uh, and then putting it in Tupperware containers so that my partner could put uh, cold pieces of cabbage. Cabbage oh, is very wow. good also for uh, like other things, but like just the whole process of, of breastfeeding is also a whole journey yeah. and an interesting experience. But yes, yeah, the protectiveness, we had, we had, the little have, caps to protect. Yeah. Oh, magic. I'm, um, I'm, no one can see me, but I'm miming little caps on my nipples. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, I'm so grateful. It, uh, going back a few steps about the private system and how one in two is a cesarean, um, this is just shows my ignorance in terms of how the system works. Now, when I think of private, I think of the longer they keep you there, the more money they make. Uh, it's the opposite. In, in the sense that what they want to get rid of you as quick as possible. They charge so they you by the procedure. Yeah. By the procedure, not by the hour, right? So Understood. a birth costs right. a certain amount, a cesarean costs a certain amount. Understood, right. So I thought because it was more like going, oh, okay, if we stay, keep them in this, you know, theater or whatever it is where you're giving birth longer, we charge them more. Therefore, they will delay the process of getting the baby out. <laughs> That's no, how no. I thought. Would no, have no, no, because it's, it's, um, because hospitals are so expensive, the more, the longer you're in there, and this is like just in general, longer you're in there, the more it costs the hospital. So the sooner But that's what I there, thought. I thought in the private system, they on charge that to you. No, no. No, so they charge you for the procedure. They're not like lawyers. They don't charge you by the minute. Yeah, sure. right. So, right, so right, example right. is like, you know, time. if you have, you know, you know it's basically, mm -hmm. this, you know, say it costs 10 grand to get a baby out. If you can, if they, by the time they come to the hospital and you can get it out within four hours and you do three of them in a 12 hour day, the hospital is doing really well. Oh, it's like a corporate versus a club gig. You know, <laughs> you just do one corporate covers oh, five yeah. club gigs. Yeah, um, so then, okay. Because at a club uh, gig, you can be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Circling back to where you are at now, like, so you mentioned you had done a marathon. You're curious about how your body, um, uh, you're curious about what your body can take and whatnot and so on. Uh, after all of that, where are you at? Uh, how quickly was the recovery for you? Where are you at now with your... Um, movement and exercise and things like that uh catch us up with that 
Cause, cause, so, and just to follow on that, on that, Atlas, if you could talk to how you recovered on the episiotomy, I think that's pretty, pretty amazing because that's a quite a, quite a lot. That's quite, that's a fair bit of surgery in itself. So I can tell you a very graphic story if you want. Do it. <laughs> so this is okay. I mean, this is like. All this right, is so beyond. We'll give a fair, fair warning to listeners. All right. Fair we'll, warning. This yeah. is beyond. All right. So three, the three first minutes, two weeks after you, birth. If you want to skip your what, what two minute, three minute skip? Yeah. But right. this is okay. Um the first two weeks after birth are intense anyway. So your yeah. your first of all, your entire midsection has been braced in a certain way for now a couple of months. And you've adapted to that, and then all of a sudden it's gone. You've got ah. uh, your your yeah, your core is split down the middle yeah. um uh -huh. so you feel very unstable and very gelatinous through the middle your midsection it's, it's an empty balloon the muscles right. aren't connected your back sore you're trying to breastfeed you're holding the baby you're trying to figure it all out um you feel very vulnerable yeah in addition your nipples are creating things and they're sore and you're trying to figure out how to latch and you're also producing overproducing milk, milk after yeah. the first four days when the milk comes in the first few days is this buttery stuff called colostrum and it's quite painful to get out liquid gold it's liquid gold. gold oh my goodness you squeeze out like five mils and you're and like, like you feel like a hero i'll, I'll um, give you an example we struggle breastfeeding at the first time around and then i would i was there with this tiny little cup and it took us i feel like an hour yeah of an hour to get five meals out yeah and you're just like we got it out and then we'll be able to use that tube to then feed it into our baby and i remember i dropped it <gasps> now i could have dropped i could have it, it was just the worst thing to drop like from this day like if i'm holding a glass i'm holding anything all i think about is like it's not as bad as when i dropped that five meals yeah yeah, yeah, genuinely. The, the phrase don't cry over spilt milk was not don't cry over spilt colostrum because holy shit. Because we, we I remember when that happened, we both started crying. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. It's just so, it's such a thing. And I, I was very lucky. I had a very good experience, but then your milk quote unquote comes in uh, and then your boobs are massive and rock hard and you're spraying milk everywhere and it's painful and My your size. nipples are still getting oh. used to the whole thing. So that's your nipples. You are weeping uncontrollably at every occasion um, <laughs> because your hormones are all up because you're bonding with the baby. You spend your whole life building up barriers against other people and these hormones come in to wash them away so that you have no cynical response to your baby. You never look at your baby and go, what are you trying to get out of me? Like you spend your whole life building that up against other people and then these hormones come in and you weep at the drop of the hat. You try and sing a song your mom used to sing to you and you're immediately in tears. <laughs> also, you have to, um, you can't wipe down there because uh, the stitches are there and it's all yes. swollen and already bruised and swollen from the process. And then you've got the cut a, as well. In, in, in the graphic, because uh, we're in a graphic area, just because I think I know what an episiotomy is, but I, uh, if my understanding is they make that a that diagonal seizure. cut yep. um, so that you don't tear between your vagina and anus. They cut diagonally yeah. to open right. up your uh, vagina. Between, so it's, sorry, again, I genuinely am being uh, sincere here now. So it's between like vagina and anus is where the cut is? No, the cut no, no, is no, no. from no. at the oh. base of your vagina diagonally outward. Outward away from the anus. Away from the okay. anus. Okay. You don't so, want to tear that. You don't want to tear from the vagina to the anus, which I know someone who's gone through that. And that yeah. is, that is that's hell. The, that's the lady in who shared the room with me. Very Hell. unpleasant and unfortunate. Because and, the recovery you know, on that lot. is, we're talking a year. Yeah, it's brutal. Anyway, um, so you can't wipe. So you have a little spray bottle, which you put warm water in. A bit and of witch hazel? Wee. 
Yeah, witch hazel, you can dab gently with witch hazel yeah. or you can spray with hazel? this warm wattle. It's kind of an astringent. It's a natural astringent. Yeah. It's um, an antibacterial uh, like, as well. Right, right, right. And then what I would do, just an example, is where we do like a combination. We do freeze the pads with witch hazel in yeah. there. So it would be Yeah, you cold. have these like frozen, oh, you sit on, you're sitting on frozen pads. And again, yeah. you're sitting like a huge amount of the day because most of the time you're still trying to figure out breastfeeding. You're breastfeeding probably six or eight hours a day trying to figure it all out yep. at the beginning eventually like my baby now feeds for like four and a half minutes and gets it out you know but at the time they're figuring it out and they're still babies they're still weak and they've got a tiny oh, stomach so the size of a pea and so they have to keep feeding all of the time because they're hungry all the time and you're yep. figuring out how often they need to feed and they're doing poo like 12 poos a day because the si stomach's the size of a cherry pit yep. um and the whole time you're like i gotta keep this thing alive yeah, you've got to keep this thing alive and you, you like you spend your whole night just lying next to them, uh, checking that they're breathing because they don't breathe regularly at no. the beginning. They don't breathe and, regularly. They stop breathing for like two seconds for yeah, no reason. It's, and it's horrible. Oh, and then, and and then what so happens? You look at their chest. You're always looking at their chest. I, like, I feel like till this day I can just look at slight movements and I just know exactly. Like I, I just can't train myself just to look at the slightest movement. I'm still breathing. That's okay. Still breathing, still breathing. And you've got to put your hand there or whatever you try and make yeah. sure. Anyway, uh, I had been given a very kind gift by a friend of mine uh, who has toddlers who are at daycare and no longer needs a pram or the ergo baby. And they had given me the pram and the ergo baby because their toddlers didn't need it anymore. And I was like, you know, prams are quite expensive. And I was just so grateful. Uh, and their, their toddlers are at daycare and they gave me the pram and the ergo baby. What's an ergo and baby? Worms. They What's gave me baby? worms. They gave you worms? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, hang on. Wait. <laughs> Hang on. The the pram and the, the ogre baby gave you worms. So yes, toddlers, it's, a, it's an embarrassing toddler, toddler disease, uh, which is where you get worms and they are <laughs> shit worms. They are worms in your shit. Yeah. And um, yeah, just eat everything. The one blessing is that infants can't get it because their digestive systems aren't complicated enough for the worm to be interested. Yeah. Right. But so I go from already every single Ugh. orifice of my body is full of unpleasantness and pain, tears mm. and milk and blood and stitches. And then I'm eating food with gloves and going to the toilet with gloves because I don't want to reinfect myself with these fucking worms. You know, it's a toddler disease when the medicine is a square of chocolate and and <laughs> Um, because I had some damage from the catheter and from the episiotomy, I can't yeah. feel my bladder. So I'm having to piss into a bucket to make sure that I'm not drinking more than I'm pissing. And so I, every single, and then all of a sudden you introduce worms and it just tipped me over the edge. The worms oh. of the like, it, it just, it Can was I, Halloween, and I have yeah. to say, I had this moment before I realized that it was worms. It was Halloween. My baby was born on the 22nd, and it was Halloween, and the I thought, this is the most horrifying feeling that I ever ever had that isn't pain, uh, is shit worms on your vagina stitches. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's That's the warning the we'll put at the start. There's your autobiography <laughs> title. And I, I realised that, you know, I'm a very glamorous female comedian and, and many people idolise me and admire me and this is going to <laughs> kill any admiration that people have, but I just feel like you need to oh, know. I, you need me. to know. For you me, need to know is, so many this things. This has upped my respect for you. I think that's how I'm framing this as what an incredible before, story no. of resilience. Like, I mean, I think yeah. the reason that people like cesareans is that there is a predictable or there is a feeling that it's predictable. Well, it's, like surgery. You, it's surgery, so you know what's going to happen. And you and know the recovery period recovery. and all of that. And just for the record, I, 
I have nothing against cesareans. I don't. I have nothing against them. I think it's a, for a lot of women, it's their best form of birth, and that's what works well for them. The issue I'd I always cesareans when the choice is taken away from her, and that's that's the issue that I've always. Uh, again, I didn't have an opinion about it I, because well, you I know, think. I, but my, my watching it's not my partner just about choice. It. I think it's a lot about choice, but it's also you know at a certain point it's going to be life or death. Totally, and that's, and that's why you're there. That's why you're there. That's why you go to the hospital just and in that's case. Why you have but, it. Yeah, I, if I had had two days at the beginning and that one hour at the end, I feel like I would have had a, a very different experience. And that said, you know, I'm so grateful. And every every individual I dealt with was a reasonable, lovely, kind human being doing the best possible job they could under the circumstances. It's just and, that the circumstances but, were yeah. that they were bed blocked. Yeah. They had limited resources. There was an entire wing of the hospital that was shut off for COVID and nurses that could only work in that wing because, you know, of the exposure risks. And so they were under pressure and yeah. and that pressure got passed on to me. And I I don't regret it, but I would do it differently were I to yeah. do it again. And I think that's why the importance of sharing stories like that is just in case people are listening and about to go through it or will go through it in the future. Yeah. It's nice to to have that information or the heads up at the very least. So even in something like in the case of the worms, like I know as graphic and whatever it is, it is still an important story because perhaps that was something you couldn't have anticipated when you were gifted the pram and the ergo, right? So so now maybe there might be potentially someone listening who might think, you know, or at least do you know what you could have done differently with that? Is there is there a case of disinfecting it before uh, using it or something like that? Uh, I would have probably said no to it if I'd known that it was going to be carrying <laughs> the worms. Uh, you can steam everything, um, right. so it's you heat treatment. Definitely say no to it. No, no, but you know what I mean. Like it, it, could, it, it uh, seems like something that most people will say yes to. Because why wouldn't you, right? You could leave but, it for two weeks somewhere hot and dry. Or yeah. you can steam it with a with a steamer, and that, that was the other thing. Um, just crawling around the entire flat, steaming everything. Wow. And, the, and you can be, and you can you can obsess over it as well. Before you know it, you're steaming every day to the point where you're like, this whole place might as well look. And well, feel like, like I said, I was eating and shitting in gloves because yeah. I was so paranoid about having to go through the whole process again. Exactly, and, and, and it's and, so and, humiliating, and and you're already your whole body yeah. is just this you're already wreck. Feeling vulnerable, and and then the and the other one is like. Like, you know, this is the start, you know, this is the start because, you know, you may have already gone through nappy rash and then after nappy rash, there's, you know, foot and mouth. And if it's not foot and mouth, it's it's the next thing. And it's like, you know, and you'll have like a couple of weeks around where you're like, hey, this is going well and something will come up. It's yeah. the nature of having a small child. It's a fucking big deal. And then, you know, you've got, you know, if you're figuring out your whole body afterwards, everything has shifted, your hips are wider, you, you, you move differently, you have to rebuild your core. If you have a diastasis recti, which is where you, your abs don't come back together, yep. you know, they do, they come over, my minor, I'm very lucky, I've been doing exercise to come back to it. But then if you've got your own body and you spent, you know, you spend your whole life being told that your body is important, that you need to be fit and healthy and sexy and all of that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have to, you cannot cut calories because you're producing no, milk exactly. so you you're you i mean it's really interesting in my mother's group and it's like no offense to them but all the skinny women have had trouble breastfeeding yeah um and not to say that you will necessarily but all this when i say the skinny women i mean the women who are really focused on their calories and trying to snap back into shape and try you, you know you're you need Which to have a surplus well. because you're producing milk like yeah. I'm producing between 750 milliliters and a liter of milk a day. Are you donating it? 
I, I yes, I, I I produced a lot at the beginning. I'm I'm clearly built for twins or whatever, but I'm I'm a big um, producer of milk, so I so give, gave a lot to the milk. Is the freezer packed? <laughs> So wait, whoa, whoa, that's a new bit of information for me. There you go. I didn't realize that, that there was an option that if you are producing more milk than your child requires, there's an option to then give it on to someone who might not. Particularly neonates, um, yeah. particularly. So because there's that process, as I said, that four-day usually pr- process of, of the milk coming in, the colostrum and the milk, and that's quite hard work for the baby. It's quite hard work for you. Premature babies can't get the milk on like that. They can't. Yeah. begin it begin that process so their mothers are often like by the incubator pumping and pumping and pumping and it's very painful and stressful and they might not produce enough some women just don't produce enough milk yeah. that's why you have wet nurses and all that kind of thing in history um or babies would just die if their mothers didn't produce enough milk yeah. so we have yeah. this wonderful in third world system countries now. it's it can be yeah. if you're not producing milk that's a shame and yeah. it's fascinating that you mentioned twins because obviously you being a twin yourself, that maybe yeah. are you suggesting that that potentially might be yeah, a thing? Yeah, that's, your body that's a expected. slight joke, but yes, yeah, I argue. My argument is that I'm built to produce uh, enormous yeah. quantities also, of milk. Amazing that you didn't have twins. It's the the being older uh, and then having twins in your family. Oh, the chance yeah. My of mom has twins. twin sisters, and one of them has twins, and my grandmother yeah. was one of eight, two of oh. two pairs of twins. So, so I. It's actually, yeah. It's more I like was surprised. The, genuinely, I was surprised that you uh, that weren't I having twins. Weren't having tw- that yeah. I wasn't having twins. But um, yes, um, it's Alice, a whole thing. It, Alice, thank you so much for sharing it. Um, it's amazing. I'm really, yeah, really. I just feel, yeah. I always feel chuffed and honoured when someone's willing to share their birth story, and especially on our podcast. I think it's it's something that um, you know it'd be more spoken. My, I, you know, sometimes my partner and I still talk about it like we still talk about the birth story of both our son and our daughter because it's really important because we want to remember it we've shared we've shared the um stories with our kids so their kids know our kids know their own birth story and Tao knows that he was he was um birthed in our tiny bathroom at home you know and that's why i like on his birth certificate it's not a hospital's address it's our address well so, yeah. you know and and Nick Cody, you know, for a friend of the show, uh, his mom every every birthday of his, he'll she'll give him a card that says, "Your head was so big, you told me from hole to hole." Jesus Christ! So. That's what we call the fourth degree tear. That's the thing. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. So yeah. So thank you, thank you so much uh, for coming on uh, to our podcast. Um, now, do you have anything to, to, anything to, to, to plug, like a pram? Got a pram uh, away? <laughs> sorry, yeah, I've got a pram. It's full. It's fully steamed. Uh, no, I am going to be in London and then in Edinburgh. If you have overseas listeners, but I have a podcast of my own. It's called The Gargle. It's weekly, and it's a, a satirical news comedy podcast that has nothing to do with politics. It's like a glossy magazine satirical news podcast. Um, or find me online at Patreon.com/slash Alice Fraser. That's a one-stop shop for all of my stand-up specials, podcasts, and blogs as well as my weekly tea with Alice Salons where we sit in a Zoom room like this and have a chat. And also, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned your stand-up specials, but yeah, Amazon Prime uh, yes. is the special, uh, which actually I thought we were going to end up talking about a fair bit about that story that you share in that as well. So we might have to do a follow-up podcast, I we reckon, do. to talk Anytime, about your marathon literally. as well as um, the, the pretty incredible story about your mom that you share on that uh, special. So maybe go watch that special, everyone listening. And, and then come then back, do a Patreon Alice. about it. Yes, do, do a, a Patreon about it. And uh, thank you for putting up with the fact that I didn't have proper childcare for this. So we had little oh, it was um, Fraser Fraser chatting was, away no, in the background. No, no, sorry, hey. baby nailed it. 
What are we talking about? Yeah. Lisa absolutely is, got a future in broadcasting, that's for sure. Knew, uh, knew when to come in, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> oh, how do they how do you bear it, Ben? They just like they just keep getting cuter. And I was like, Oh, it's, it's, uh, oh, it's we, we just we just we just got back school photos. Oh and it just like I squeezed the phone so hard when they came through <laughs> that I cracked the case. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, no way, because sibling photos. Oh man, they oh, are just babies being so, nice to other babies. Oh, they so are just cute. so, and my daughter is just hitting this amazing age where she's so creative and her mind is going everywhere, and it's just so funny and just like, and she can make her brother laugh better than anyone else. So it's just like it just comes out in the photo, and yeah, they just keep getting cuter and cuter and cuter and cuter. But you're at that stage with oh the cheeks. The can I show you? A, can I show you at least you know, as a word picture a little baby photo, um, which is of Laser Fraser had started biting. Before they get teeth, you want to train them out of biting while they're feeding. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to tell you how cute and clever my baby is. So when when she bit, I would take her off. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the training. You take them off. You put them down, and then you give them a few minutes, and you bring them back so that they yeah. learn uh, not, not to bite. That if you, if they bite, that is the end of feeding. Uh, and now she has learned the lesson and applied it laterally. Now, when she has finished eating, she will bite me to let me know she's done. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's really cute. And I That's think really it's cute. so funny that I cannot bear to discourage it. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. It's just the, the um. That's yeah, going to be really God. tough when, oh, uh, when she's at a teppanyaki restaurant and she bites the chef in front of her. <laughs> so yeah, she's yeah. cut her off. She'd probably be perfect for baby led weaning. That's, uh, that's probably the next step. That's, uh, that's, a, that's, that's a good sign. Uh, you've got to, What's you've baby got linguini? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, 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 we will save this to the Patreon. Otherwise, yeah, once okay. we start, we won't stop. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll do this next time and I'll um, tell you about sissy push ups and everything. Yes, still quickly. You've got shows in. Uh, yeah, I still Brisbane. got shows. Uh, I'm going to be in Newcastle tonight for those who are listening, and then Brisbane Comedy Festival next Friday at the Tivoli. Uh, it's a big venue, so please come out. Come out, everybody. <laughs> come on down, and don't make it feel like it is half full, which because I'm a positive person. But um, yes, we've got about a week to go, so punch that in. Come on, Brisbane. Can we do it? Do um, uh, uh, I have uh, not too much plug. Just a quick shout out. Uh, I've bumped into quite a few Fitbit listeners at my warm-ups. Uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, saying hi and also always appreciate the question when I ask the audience, are there any questions? Uh, my favourite one is uh, one of the regulars likes to always point out and go, are there any good podcasts to listen to? Yeah. <laughs> Keep doing that. Excellent. <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank um, you so I, much, Ali. Sincerely, thank you for sharing all of that so candidly. I really appreciate it. And I think it will help a lot of people, uh, absolutely. So uh, I'm a big nice. baby nerd, so if you have any anyway. questions or concerns, do email me. And we'll get you back for a Patreon. Will you come back for a Patreon? Absolutely. Yes. Oh. Okay. All, all right. right. Take See care, everybody. Bye. Love you all.